0: Totally Football Show. Coming up in today's big football stories, there's England's nil-nil in Croatia and Monday's trip to Seville. There's the Netherlands, Gibraltar, Actung Baby as Germany faced the drop and Scotch on the Rocks after their trip to Haifa. All that, plus Monaco news. How will Cherry-Henri get on at the Louis Deux, the one ground that's emptier than that one in Rijeka? All that and more in this Totally Football Show.
1: Ratio now Savicevic
2: Panucci had made the overlap but look who's back there defending Ravonelli.
0: now Baggio just feeling his way back really into the senior side after his lengthy layoff to Viali here looking to extend Baresi. good shot and Rossi down with a save well today's show starting off there with a a tribute to Peter Brackley. I think always my favourite commentator. And, and sad that he's gone so early, just 67. I was sad that we didn't get so much chance of late uh, to hear his work. Uh, but lovely to hear him there pronouncing, delivering some of the great names. And, of course, he was so understated with him and, and, and Ray Wilkins. But that team was as big a part of anything that made uh, Italian football a success in the 90s. Um, what a man he was. What a wit as well. There's a there's a documentary actually which uh, BT Sport did uh, back at the start of the year, which will be uh, replayed this evening uh, in tribute to to Peter, who was such a key part of that show, um, and a lovely moment from that, which we'll just play now.
2: I remember one week um, I, I had to remind Ray that um, because of his pace and his power, Cafu wonderful brazilian right back you might remember played for roma and milan because of his pace and power he was known as il pendolino which in italian meant the super fast express train i said ray as you when you, you played in italy of course it was known as il stop di napoli the stopping service to naples he said well that's your way well, you're wrong he said mr smart alec he said because i happen to know that
3: that particular service didn't run on a match day no i said but then neither did you you're listening to the totally football show in association with paddy power
0: now, let's know. with us today on the Totally Football Show, we've got Daniel Storey. Good morning, James. Who watched Croatia, England.
4: I did, yes. Excellent. From a hill, I hope. Uh, yeah, not quite, but a huge respect to those supporters who hadn't missed a game in 10 years. But we are going to watch this football match.
0: Absolutely. Jack Lang, you've had some skirting put up in your house. Jack. What a
5: thrilling way to introduce me, James. Yes, I have.
0: It's a shame they didn't show that instead of Croatia nil England. now.
5: They wait. Equally enjoyable, believe you me.
0: <laughs> and also, ooh, Raphael
2: Honigstein, you had goals in, in Germany's game, didn't you? <laughs> Loads of goals, yeah. Um, I don't know which game you're referring to, because I saw two this weekend. Uh, one was Germany-Holland, uh, yes, 3-0. Uh, the other one was Per Mertesacker, uh, his testimonial, his old 96 uh, Hanover friends against a world... Twenty-two, I guess. And oh, I think lovely! End at 9 So 9 well, yeah, Did he get falls. on the score sheet? He did get on the, on the score sheet. Right. Excellent. Um, we'll uh,
0: we'll speak about that later on. Of course, exciting times for Germany and Bayern Munich fans. That's one way to put it. Mm. Also coming up today, we'll have Andrew Slaven in a bit to tell us uh, some spectacular news about Scotland, and Julian Laurent, cheeky Julian. He'll be on the phone to preview France's clash with Germany and also tell us why Thierry Henry, after turning down Bordeaux for not being ambitious enough, has joined the third-bottom side in Ligue 1. So looking forward to that. Let's begin, though, with League of Nations Internationals. It's not called that, is it? Nations League. Mostly a low-scoring weekend for anyone who wasn't playing Germany. Scotland got beaten, Italy winning... And consigning Poland to relegation, Germany in danger of dropping out of the top league as well. England, meanwhile, nil-nil with Croatia in a game so quiet you could hear the beeping of a truck as it reversed outside the stadium. Um, a lot of people saying, Daniel, that this game was evidence of how important the fans are to football.
4: Oh well, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And I think there's there's certainly an argument that that while Croatia's punishment was was Probably valid, uh, and UEFA has struggled with with to find alternative punishments because basically the, the fines they have available to them are so small that when a when a nation has a swastika mode onto the pitch as Croatia did, then the only possible punishment is to not allow any fans in. But it, it did feel like maybe England fans should have been allowed in. It, it felt like England were being punished for Croatia's uh, crime, mm. um, and it was a very bizarre game. All the players said it. All the journalists there said it, and he, it just felt more like a friendly than a a friendly does.
0: As much as this game being evidence that football needs fans, was it not also evidence that football needs a bit of football being played?
4: Yeah, this Nations League is a very, in its infancy, is a very odd concept in that some international managers clearly view it as a a competitive fixture. Others view it as a kind of semi-competitive and a chance to breed in youngsters. And some are actually using it as just as basically hardly even a friendly, just as a, a... a kind of fly in the ointment of, of post World Cup preparation, and I think playing other elite nations, while was initially seen as a very positive thing, actually it places a huge amount of pressure on international managers because if they then lose those games and suffer relegation, mm. that feels like it can you know Germany is a very good example. It feels like very quickly after a major tournament, another disaster is around the corner. Yeah,
2: yeah, but I think in Germany. There is a view that this is actually a good thing. Not that disaster is around the corner, but the fact that Germany will not now, after bad World Cup, go straight into a very easy qualification group, winning lots of games. The problems that we've seen in, in Russia not really coming to the forefront against opposition of very limited quality, now that they are playing against teams who are at least as good as they are, maybe even better in, in the case of France, you suddenly see where the fault lines are. And maybe it's better to happen now um, than two years down the line mm. at a tournament. So, or in the European qualifications. Yeah, I think it's going to be... I mean, even if Germany were to get relegated and only seeded in the second uh, pot, because it's the Euros and almost everyone can turn up, uh, it, it still doesn't really have that competitive edge to it right. for, for those bigger nations. But I think the view is, almost um, despite the bad results in Germany, that it's actually been a really good competition mm. because it means something. And in the case of <laughs> Germany and Louvre it could mean quite a lot if they were to lose on, on Tuesday night in France.
5: Also worth remembering that it's not just the European teams that affected. There's been a bit of... Uh, nascent backlash in South America over the fact that there aren't as many dates available for what would be viewed as glamorous friendlies. So South American teams have been playing mainly in Central North America. Uh Uh, In the Middle East, I think Peru had a couple of games against big European teams in the last uh, window, but this time there's been no no gaps in the schedule for any of those teams, so it's affecting
0: those sides as well. I saw... um, James Rodriguez's goal against uh, USA, that was quite something, Very it?
5: nice, yeah, from James, and really the the main attraction this week for the South American teams is Argentina v Brazil oh. in Saudi Arabia. When's that? Tuesday night.
0: Oof. Now, uh, England anyway get quite a useful point in their battle with relegation in their group. Uh, Spain coming up Monday night in Seville. There's certainly going to be some atmosphere there. Mm. The match probably will also have happened by the time most folk listen to this, mm. which puts us in a bit of of a position, Spain in banging form. Who who saw their game against Wales, Daniel?
4: Yeah, they are probably, as bizarre as it sounds so close to a World Cup, probably the best team in the world at the moment, I think. Um, It it hammers home, you know, the positive spin is that they have bounced back from the World Cup. The the flip side is that it, it, it highlights just what a shambles that, Pre World Cup debacle in which the manager lost his job for for outright flirtation with Real Madrid and and you know that did cost Spain their their World Cup chance. All right. Hey, what about Paco Alcacer?
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, you will have the stats ready. I don't, but I can tell you that he has been a unbelievable success uh, in the Bundesliga, where despite not even starting uh, many times, he scored lots of goals, and of course he's now continued his form. Into um, he's taken his form into the uh, Spanish national team, and I think in Barcelona it's already being seen as a bit of embarrassment that uh, perhaps uh, they made a mistake here. Conversely, he seems to be really happy. Uh, it's a loan deal with an option to buy. It's already signed and sealed, so um, he seems to be willing to stay beyond uh, that deal. And uh, once again, I think you have to take your hat off to Dortmund's scouting department because. He is not someone who would have been very high on the list of many Champions League teams looking for a, for a centre forward, especially because he's, you know, slight and not really your orthodox number nine, but he's really released the Stortman team. And maybe he is, or maybe he can be, the guy that makes the puzzle sort of complete for Spain, mm. who've struggled a little bit to find the perfect centre forward for their game. Uh, they tried Costa. Rodrigo is a better fit, but I think with Akase, who's maybe kind of a a combination of all the good things that these other guys can bring, um, they look even better. And it's been it's been amazing a uh, few weeks for him.
5: You look at the number of options Spain now have in attack. Granted, yeah, perhaps not one of them until uh, Alcacer has really grasped their chance fully. But there are so many different players that can play in those roles, like Sencio Rodrigo, as Rafa said. Iago Aspas has made an impact. I don't think he was in the squad for the first uh, couple of games until Costa got injured but made a good impact. Lots of guys, even with Isco injured, they've got so much talent in those positions. And then you look at the three players who have, uh, the only three players who have started all the games under Luis Enrique, De Gea and Ramos, probably predictable, but Saul is the one that's interesting because I think I mentioned when I was on here before, he didn't play a single minute at the World Cup. Made a massive impact under Luis Enrique so far. And yeah, bad news for England is that Spain haven't lost a competitive home game in. 15 years.
2: 15 years. Yeah. Bad news. Sorry, James. Mm. The bad news for England is also that the midfield three for Spain look as if there'll be Busquets, Thiago and Saul uh, up against Harry Winks, Ross Barkley and Eric Dyer. Right. Hendo suspended.
4: Yeah, Winks has basically been brought into this team as this kind of the, well, what Southgate calls uh, his 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 build his pass builder, I think he said, um, which is yeah, effectively someone to Busquets esque kind of control the temper of the game and play the most passes like this kind of I think I saw someone cleverly refer to it as half man half Busquets. Mm. But no, this is this is this is a huge test of of young England because. Um, they will. You know, they could well be embarrassed by that midfield.
2: I think, and they could still still get relegated from this group. Mm. I don't think it's it's a possibility that's been talked uh, about that much after the Croatia game. But I felt there was a a bad result considering that mm. you've you're basically taking on Croatia on neutral ground almost. Uh, maybe it's even a disadvantage for them, and um, they didn't really do all that well against against this Croatia side, so I think that could still be problematic for we'll, Southgate
0: We'll finish off the group at home to Croatia at Wembley and when has when that I ever gone back? <laughs> exactly. Okay, give the listeners a chuckle with a wayward or, or, or a shiver at a spookily accurate prediction Jack?
5: I think Spain will win
4: 3-1. 2-0 Spain. Rafa? Yeah, 2-0.
2: Really? I'm say as well, yeah. Hmm. Okay.
0: Excellent. Let's have a st- well, not excellent, obviously, if you're an England fan. But let's move on. In League B, defeat for Northern Ireland against Austria. Arnie, our now out of it, bundling through to score the only goal uh, in that game. And Northern Ireland, amongst those in danger of dropping down a tier, Ireland. Similar for them; they drew nil-nil with Denmark. They only managed three shots. The Irish, the Danes, had fifteen, but still a point. It's better than the last time. They host Wales on Tuesday night. That's going to be a big game. A eh? Ireland Wales. Remember, it's Denmark four points. Wales on three. Ireland now on
4: one. Yeah, I think this could potentially be the um, the end game for for Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. Um, <laughs> the principal reason to have Keane in a camp and and to an extent O'Neill as well is is man motivation um, and kind of making the players feel they're bigger and better than they are and. I mean, that game against Denmark was the opposite of that. They are, there's actually some decent new talent in that Irish team. The likes of, you know, Matt Doherty, who's playing brilliantly at Wolves. But they just seem to slump at international level at the moment. I, I don't think they've got long. Yeah, Keane, briefly last
5: week, suggested that he might be willing to, to dip back into club management, mm. uh, maybe in the championship. But he hasn't thought about any options because, in his own words, I don't network. Yes. Which I thought would make an excellent title for his autobiography if he ever has a new one.
0: Very nice. What a read that would be. Anyway, that uh, game coming up with Wales on Tuesday night, 4-1, of course, to the Welsh uh, when they met in Cardiff. Scotland, you will recall we were talking about them riding high after they did a win over Albania. Uh, They headed to Haifa last Thursday after our show to take on an Israel side who, as we mentioned, had only beaten Andorra and Liechtenstein at home in the last four years. Andrew Slaven from the Totally Scottish Football Show joins us now. Andrew, I saw they went uh, 1-0 up Scotland uh, with a penalty on 25 minutes. Uh, So how many did he win by?
6: Uh, Yeah, we we got a penalty and we were 1-0 up at half time and we were still rubbish. It was really poor We lost 2-1 Scotland had a man sent off Yeah that's right John Souter picked up a second yellow um, For what looked on first sight You know An elbow um, on Dabour A place for Salzburg And um, when you look at the replays There's no contact So it was really unfortunate for Souter Um, Was was Scotland unlucky in general Or was this a fair result? No, no, no Israel were by far The much better team And that's what That's what frustrates Scotland fans Because A team who's not won At home in just over two years And a Scotland team Who's supposed to be On the rise With a lot of exciting Young players And they can't They just can't turn up On a really important night Well this was the same Uh, 11 I think that had beaten Albania that's correct same system as well um, three at the back Um, wing backs with Robertson and O'Donnell from Kilmarnock but there seems to be this pressure to play Kieran Tierney from Celtic who's a hot talent up in Scotland and Andrew Robertson who's obviously captain of Scotland and plays for Liverpool people playing out of position is causing a few problems Um, particularly away from home
0: Israel can't stop winning at home now because they they went and followed that up by then winning again at home making a mockery of my suggestion that they don't (laughs) have a good record at home they beat Albania now so they are
6: on top of the group bizarrely how does that affect Scotland's chances? Well I'm going to stay positive for Scotland because we've still got two more games to play we've got to play um Albania next on the 17th of November um that's in Albania so mm. we need to turn our away form um around and then we've got Israel at home right. um, 3 days after that so we if we win our next two games everything's fine and Alex Mishklish will be fine and Scotland will be fine okay I think.
0: <laughs> what about the
6: uh, friendly with Portugal on Sunday night yeah so this was one thing where after that Israel result everyone everyone in Scotland was just like why are we playing this 352 system um, players out of position uh, McLeish actually resorted back to a back four for that game and it was better I guess because Portugal are who they are mm. although it was a reserve side but they still have better technically gifted players and some of the goals were, were excellent um, Brumas in particular the third goal for Portugal Okay, um, but Scotland's goal as well was, was quite quite a good finish. You know, we had Gary Mackay Stephen who plays for Aberdeen, um, um flicking back for Stephen Naismith from from Hearts. It was actually it was the first time since nineteen ninety four that Scotland had four Aberdeen players in the squad, Mm. which is quite an interesting stat. So
0: certainly is, certainly is. All right. Uh, Well, you'll be talking about this more, no doubt, in the Totally Scottish Football Show coming up later on Monday or early Tuesday.
6: Yes, that's correct. We'll be um, dissecting the dismal performance in Israel. We're also going to try and heal our hearts a little bit. We're going to look back um, to one of Scotland's best ever results. Um, When we played France in Ah, 2007 Under Alex McLeish Under Alex McLeish The last time When Alex McLeish's managerial career Looked so promising Um, And now it's (laughs) not looking so promising Um, But it was certainly one of the best results In my lifetime So I can't wait to look look back on that right. with my friends yeah. and, and kind of feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah, Don't look forward, look back. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, Excellent.
5: I was living in France at the time of that and James McFadden was going through a, a bizarre purple patch and all these French people were asking me, who is this James McFadden? He's, he's brilliant. And that really didn't last very long, did
6: it? <laughs> it almost never would have been for James McFadden um, because he missed his flight on his first cap. He'd played, I think it was South Africa, it was one of the four games that they played in that time in 2002, and James McFadden, because it was his first cap, he missed his flight back to Scotland. So, uh, but the only the saving grace Hang was on. because why? Because it was his first cap, he missed the f- I flight. Think back he, to- I think he I think he went out after the game and oh, enjoyed himself right. um, a bit too much. Um, but his saving grace was Roy Keane walked out of the um, Ireland squad at the time, so, so he got that- off the plane and he thought, Oh my God, all this paparazzi are here. I only play for Motherwell. Why are they here for me? Um, but they were there for Roy Keane Roy
0: Keane took, took the heat a bit more, yeah. brilliant Well, more top details like that in the Totally Scottish Football Show coming up on Monday evening he lines up to hit it and yes it's deflected for a corner that's over 12 corners yes <clears throat> and no time to take it though it's finished nil nil what a result Sorry our fault You see with same game multibets from Paddy Power You can combine multiple selections from one match Into one bet And you'll get money back as a free bet If one leg of your fourfold same game multibet lets you down Paddy Power Enough of the nonsense Applies to pre-match fourfold same game multibets On UK and top European leagues Max free bet £10 per customer per day Minimum odds Exclude shop bets T and C's apply 18 plus On
3: Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere This is the Totally Football Show From Muddy Knees Media
0: all right. Andrew Slaven, of the Totally Scottish Football Show. Connor Walsh writes in, he says, Would international football be better if it was made up of players who play in each country rather than where they're born? Or their grandparents are born. Also, would it would mean it would change up every year? For example, now how will Ronaldo do for the City, our team? Let's find out. says Connor. Mm. I like that idea. It has been done before.
4: Yeah, what well, I mean, what he's talking about there is is not international football. It's a new thing entirely. Well, and everyone plays plenty of football anyway.
0: Call I think. it
5: the League of Leagues.
0: League of Leagues. There you go.
5: I think I actually did that in an article. Last did you yeah, a couple it of is, couple yeah. of yeah, a couple of years ago. And what was your conclusion? I. <sighs> It must have been so memorable that I can't even.
0: But they used to. This used to it happen. A hard I there used to be a, a a Serie A team. I'm sure that an English team, is, is a first division team, back you know before the Premier League took on it. I think.
4: Yeah, it feels very. It feels a very modern kind of computer game thing to have this kind of composite eleven of each league. I, I suppose if you had just the top four leagues in Europe playing off over a summer, but yeah, there one is game at the end of the season. I say one game, but hmm. one little
0: kind of. The I, top top five or six leagues will invite. That's France the 39th as well.
4: Game and do it in, I don't know, do it in Dubai or something. And yeah, not for me. Aruba would be my
0: pick. Okay, for, yeah,
5: someone called Javier Tebas from yeah. the Spanish Federation. Yeah, get, get a ridiculous far-flung country involved. I Think we could have a go here.
0: Excellent. Uh, good. Oh, well, here's another tweet. Uh, this from Danny Last. Danny says, was that Rafa's actual vinyl record collection in the backdrop of his recent Copper 90 Hamburg video? Fave albums of all time for those gathered in the studio. Well, we don't need to get into that. No. But that was. did you artfully do your interview in front of your, your vinyl collection? I huh? did, yeah. How many vinyl records have you got? I haven't counted for a long time. Are we talking in the hundreds or the thousands?
2: No, it's a good couple of thousands. Jeepers. Rafa, I have to say, is wearing a
0: Run DMC sweatshirt and, and as you know, used to be a DJ. That's not a new purchase, is it? That's an old school.
2: Not that old school, but... Okay,
0: because you wore your other one out. Yeah. Excellent. What's your favourite Run DMC track? Um... Can't say greatest hits. tricky. Yeah. For me, Rockbox. Do you remember Rockbox? I just made a joke. Oh, it's
3: tricky.
0: Sorry. <laughs> 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 wow, listener. Now, bad times for Scotland, as Andrew was just explaining. Worst times for Germany, though. Raphael Honigstein. That's awful. 3-0 away it was Amsterdam, no? Yeah. Johan Cruyff, mm-hmm. Van Dyke, uh, Memphis Depay, kind of brought back memories of Del Piero's goal in two thousand and six. Unwelcome memories, of course, for some. Uh, the second goal because because yes. Van tech, yeah, Van Dyke had put you one, oh, uh, had put you one 0 down, mm-hmm. and then there was this kind of late flurry of goals, kind of in the eighty seventh and then ninety second or something, yeah. Depay, and then Wijnaldum, which. I know that Yugi Love touched on this, but that must be really worrying, not just to lose, but also the way they kind of collapsed at the end, Germany.
2: Well, it was a little bit like the loss against South Korea when Noir started playing as a striker that Love kind of made light of it, saying that, of course, you know, you chase the game, these kind of things happen. It wasn't necessarily reflective of our performance. Mats Hummels made a similar case saying, actually, yeah, we lost 3-0, but we played pretty decent football here at times and... Uh, we didn't take our chances, and that's can happen. And that kind of um, attitude didn't really go down well with the public because it's increasingly seen as one of the problems that some of the more experienced players, uh, some of the more experienced people in, in case of Leuph, perhaps don't quite see the extent of the problem, always what? trying the numbers... to look beyond the result, but the results themselves are pretty scary.
0: Yeah, the numbers make it all, all too apparent. It's now six defeats. In 10 games. Indeed, in the last year, the only teams that Germany managed to win against Sweden in the World Cup, thanks to that last minute Tony Cruz goal, and friendly results over Saudi Arabia and, and Peru. they The 3 0 defeat away in Amsterdam equals Yugi Love's worst ever loss in his 168 games in charge. And Daniel, what's that? They haven't scored now in
2: three games.
4: Yeah, for the first generally. time in their
2: history, I believe. So, and, and they're, they're also the only team not to have scored in the uh, Nations League alongside Estonia and Malta, I think, and maybe a couple more. But I mean, yeah, it's one of bad. the few.
0: It's bad. So, and there's a risk now of a real risk of relegation in that group with uh, yeah. Netherlands and France. France game's huge. You've got that one coming up on Tuesday, yeah. and then Netherlands away in in, Paris. in November. Oh, no, the host Netherlands in, uh, in November. But uh, w- w- what does it need? Does it need another reboot? Does it need just a centre forward? W- w- what's missing?
2: Well, I mean, the problems that Germany used to have in specific areas, they they managed to compensate because the core of the team were so strong. The axis, if you will, uh, Neuer, Hummels and Boateng, Kimmich, um, Müller up front. Those guys always performed. Uh, and before Kimmich Lahm, those guys always performed and then you could sort of build a team around them and it almost didn't really matter who else was playing there. Now, all of these guys, with the exception of Kimish, are really struggling. They're playing so badly that people are saying maybe they're just past it. I mean, it's got to the point where the discussion is no longer, you know, when will they come back to being their normal selves to is it really over for them? But Leuven keeps persisting. And kind of the younger generation who are coming in are perhaps not quite there yet. So this is a this is a team that looks a little bit split, in between sort of the the, the stalwarts who are not quite performing, and the young guns who are still a little bit raw, and missed chances. Again, they had chances up front. Timo Van had chances. Leroy Sané had had a wonderful chance that he should have put away. And increasingly, and most worryingly for me, it looks as if Leuven is kind of second-guessing himself all the time. You know, his big idea after the World Cup was to go to a more reactive style with three midfielders and play more on the break. But then the Dutch are not stupid. They gave Germany the ball and then Germany really, really struggled to do anything with it because they had three holding midfielders who none of them really offered that much going going forward. And it just looks so stale at the moment, so bereft of ideas no cohesion, and I think some of the problems we saw in Russia uh, when it came to kind of a lack of um, a functioning kind of team dynamic, those issues still persist. If you look at the way that Hummels and all these guys talk about the game and then you see how much more critical and aggressive foremost the young guys are saying, you know, we need to improve, this is not good enough, they're not even on the same page off the pitch, let alone on it. So it's bad times, and a lot of people are casting Tuesday's game as a kind of a final okay. for Leuve, right? but perhaps for some of these players as well. well who would come in if, if Löw... Would you think Löw well, might actually... The, the argument is really the other way around. Louvre is still there because no one else is able right. to come <laughs> in. That's the key reason why he managed to survive Russia, It's also the key reason why the German FA, after such a terrible result and after a possible bad result on Tuesday, are still not quite ready to pull the trigger because there is no obvious replacement. Um, A lot of uh, clamor for Matthias Sommer, um, who's now uh, in an advisory role for Borussia Dortmund and um, it might be coincidence, it might not be, but their fortunes have picked up uh, remarkably over the last few weeks since he's taken over there, since he's become involved there. I don't know if you wanted um, that much pressure, that much responsibility, and then you're really struggling to come up even with a potential name who might be available. All the good ones are iron jobs.
4: Would the F.B. ever consider going the kind of you know, the foreign route, or
2: is that seen as a kind of a huge swallowing of pride? I think it'd be very, very difficult to do. Um, they got very close when when they had the really dark days and at the turn of the century where Gus Hiddink was in the running and um, I think they talked to one or two uh, Swiss coaches as well at the time. I think even Roy Hodgson got a call, um, a preliminary inquiry by Gidius Brown at the time. So, no, I think it's it's something that German FA cannot do because they would feel it would just kind of signify um, a capitulation. Right. When it comes to having ideas and having having coaches, I think I know what
5: Daniel was getting at. And
2: Big Sam, isn't it? Alan
5: Pardew. Oh,
2: come on, guys! Yeah, we're already how the mighty have fallen. You know, <laughs> <laughs> now the the butt of jokes four years ago <laughs> yeah. were champions. Incredible! It's, it's I terrible. thought that
0: there was meant to be this conveyor belt of talent. That but you, the talent
2: is there. I think yeah. that is the the redeeming point to all of this. There is enough talent. Okay, you might not have an out and out centre forward, but Germany haven't had one for years even Klauser was more of a playing striker and it, it didn't hold them back there is enough talent there but you need a coach who who has an idea and has the right players for it at the moment he seems a little bit torn between doing two things none of them none of which are quite feasible at this point I see
4: a word for, for the Netherlands yes, who, yes. You know, I don't think they are lekker would yeah, be the word I don't think they're back back
0: what does that mean? tasty oh okay all right
4: yeah I don't, I don't think they're back-back, but what they do have potentially is the best centre-half pairing in international football in the next three, four, five years, because we know Virgil van Dijk is is solid, and in Matthias de Ligt they have uh, possibly the next big thing in central defending, I think. I think Barcelona certainly thinks so. So, yeah, they... when the Dutch fell to their lowest ebb it was not because they were having to play Ryan Barber which they are still having to do but because they were, they were capitulating in games and they were shambles and that that element of their decline could be over I think
0: Tuesday night Daniel are you mm-hmm. going to be watching the France-Germany game or Holland taking on Belgium in what will be a sizzling game although admittedly just a friendly
4: yeah I probably will watch the, the, the end of Yogi Leuwe but you'll I tape it for that the, yeah. <laughs> the Dutch team
5: also has probably my new favorite footballer name. Okay. Denzel Dumfries. That's good. Who name. sounds like the result of one of those Twitter memes that says oh your Dutch fullback name is your the first name of your favorite action movie star and your right. favorite Scottish town.
3: Bruce Aberdeen.
5: <laughs> Jean-Claude Dundee. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Listeners come rain or shine your friends here at Muddy Knees Media deliver a whole host of podcasts to your ears every single week and that's why we're giving the thumbs up to Ship Station. Yep, ShipStation, America's number one e-commerce shipping software, is now available in the UK. Why is that exciting, you may ask? Well, if you're selling online, you want to get your orders out quickly and keep your customers happy. And that's where ShipStation comes in. ShipStation imports your online orders from anywhere you sell, from eBay to Amazon and even your own web store. So whether you dispatch one package per day or thousands per week, ShipStation is the shipping software for you. You'll get orders out fast and keep your customers happy. Happy customers mean more orders, and that is good for business. Because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days, plus get a special bonus when you use the promo code SHOW. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SHOW. That's ShipStation.com, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N, and enter the promo code SHOW. ShipStation.com. Get ship done. Loads of
0: fascinating things to come, uh, listener, including Rafa explaining what Bayern are doing down in sixth in the Bundesliga. But in other surprising football news, Italy win Sunday night, massive game away to Poland. A 1-0 victory at the death for the Azuri, which means that Poland get relegated just when we all thought that was going to be Italy's fate. And the Gazette this morning full of all this talk about how this team, just when you think they're dead, they come back and bite you in the bum in this case via Cristiano Budaghi's late, late, late goal, the uh, full-back sliding in to stick away uh, the ball from a corner and uh, basically earning Mancini his first competitive win as Italy manager. They, uh, did you see the game actually, Jack? saw
5: so highlights. Right. It looked it, to me as if Italy were kind of camped on the edge of the Poland area yeah, for a long time. They, they
0: look really good. I mean, there are a couple of things. They, they do need a centre-forward because they create so many chances and even in the first minute they'd hit the post once they they hit the woodwork a couple of other times but they, they were all over Poland and this new system which to be fair Mancini had already tried out in the 1-1 draw at home to Ukraine functioned Brilliantly, the, uh, the the front three of Benedeschi, Insigne and Chiesa look wonderful. But, I mean, the key thing was uh, Marco Verratti coming back into the team and anchoring the midfield alongside Jorginho, and, and, and they just looked uh, they look great. They now have a chance with this victory of actually reaching the finals ahead of Portugal, depending on what happens, uh, you know. When they take them on, of course they lost two one last time. Those two sides faced each other.
5: Odd that Poland didn't play Christoph Piontek. I thought, given that he yeah opened his account against uh, Portugal, and he's so potent in Italy.
0: Mm. That is very true. Poland uh, losing that game that was bank last week, wasn't it? Three two, and uh, Portugal who were playing brilliantly at the moment, as you know we, we heard earlier, uh, winning that game. The, the Portuguese press called that one of their best performances in years, which has raised all sorts of interesting questions about their future, given that Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't actually playing. Uh, Piontek did score in that game, as you mentioned, uh, and then lots of people called Silva. Andre Silva, who's about the only man keeping place with uh, Piontek in the European leagues. Rafa Silva uh, kind of provoked an own goal from Glick, and then Bernardo Silva was a bit of a special one. Lots of papers saying that uh, Mauricio Sarri wants to buy Piontek for uh, for January. I think the Italian clubs, lots of big Italian clubs sniffing around
4: them as well. Hey,
0: in other international news, moving along, listeners, Gibraltar. Yes. Mm. Go on, Daniel.
4: Yeah, they won their first ever competitive match. Um, And Armenia's new coach lost his first game in charge at home to Gibraltar, having had, I think, 35 shots, they registered. Wow. Um, But yeah, this is what the, the Nations League is all about. This is about, um, you know, for so long it was decreed that the the way for the minnows to improve was to play the bigger clubs and kind of have the stars in their eyes improvement. And actually, I think the opposite is probably true. I think playing teams slightly better than them um, is the way to improve with the carrot of, of a potential Euro 2020 place for a, for a League D nation. Um, you know, the likes of Kosovo, who are, you know, potential qualifiers for Euro 2020, um, it's brilliant for them, and and, and as I say, Gibraltar's first ever competitive win, and I, I enjoyed the fact that before the game, Armenia played the Liechtenstein national anthem by mistake. And by caused, mistake? Or well, I think my- I think it was a genuine mistake, but it, it, to all by all accounts, it really caused a lot of anger amongst mm. the Gibraltar officials, um, and they kind of have that. Two fingers up after the game, so it's uh, you know it, that they won their first game after that.
0: Right. You, you mentioned it was the first game in charge for Armenia's new manager. What I didn't catch his name. What was uh,
4: it? it's Arman. It's uh, His first name's Arman, and that's how I will know him as, and so will you, I presume. Gyul Budagiants. There you go, uh,
0: or, or some variation thereof. Extraordinary, because that was a proper Armenian side with the uh, Henrik Henrik Mkhitaryan playing mm. or Mkhitaryan, uh, playing the, the full ninety as well.
1: Yeah,
4: and uh, as I say. The, Going the the ability to go into a match not thinking how many we're going to lose by and considering success if you lose five nil it is a completely different psychology for a team and it can only help improve those players and and also for, for countries like Gibraltar the knock on effect of these results is not just the improvement in the players there but it, it persuades players who would be eligible for that nation to then consider mm. becoming international footballers for Gibraltar which is you know is a, is a huge huge impact
0: right fantastic I wonder who their goalkeeper was if. Thirty-five shots and kept a clean sheet. That's pretty mm. impressive. In other slightly surprising international news, uh, Egypt took on uh, Eswatini. Eswatini. Do you know where that is?
5: I, I I saw that in a newspaper. and I thought it was a typo.
0: Yeah, it's Swaziland. It's uh, uh, okay. Yeah, well, what what used to be known by some as mm-hmm. Swaziland, but they, they call themselves Eswatini. And uh, this was a one-nil win for Egypt. Uh, the surprise being that the goal scored by Mo Salah, who I thought had retired,
4: or well, he certainly he talked of retiring, didn't he? From it was, I think he there was a fallout over his image rights, yeah. wasn't there? And okay. I think that was has been sorted out now, okay, or at well, least postponed.
0: That's good because he managed to score from a corner, an olympical, is that right?
5: Yep, Olympic goal,
0: an Olympic goal, that's yep. right? Right, and then went off injured. Yes, it's a muscle strain, apparently. So, yeah. Uh, okay, well, get well soon, Mo. Very good. Well, I'm sure there's loads of other inter- international news, but Google it if you're that interested, <laughs> listeners. Uh, we're going to move on after this. Hey, we're talking about that Tyrion Henry news.
3: You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at roytheroversofficial.com.
0: In The Totally Football League show this Tuesday, Caroline and co are going to be speaking to Rochdale striker Judd Thompson about how he came back from cancer twice They'll also round up all the goals from League One and Two, go Portsmouth, and give their thoughts about the Dean Smith and John Terry double act at Aston Villa, a job that, of course, was turned down by Thierry Henry, who instead, for reasons best known to himself, has decided to uh, take over at Monaco, down at the Louis II. What? Why? How many? Let's ask our French correspondent, Julien Laurent. Bonjour, bonjour. Jules. Everyone's talking about it. It's Thierry Henry's move to Monaco. Is this going to be a Zidane-esque appointment or a pep at Barcelona or more of the kind of Tony Adams down at Portsmouth?
7: Yeah, or Gary Neville at Valencia. Exactly. Um, that's the question. I mean, I don't think even Thierry knows himself. What, what certainly is that he really fancied that project more than the border one that you almost took a month ago or the Aston Villa one where he was clearly the favorite as well. And I think there was a time where he was tempted by the Villa job, but clearly this one, maybe because it's Monaco and that's where it all began for him, you know, all those years ago, or maybe because he feels that it's better to start in Ligue 1 than in a championship. You know, I don't know, but he felt like really this one ticked all the boxes for him or most of the boxes for him that he was, um, you know, an interesting squad for sure with a lot of talent all be after a really bad start of the season, but still I think there's a lot of talent in there. He wants to work with young players and he's got plenty at Monaco as well. Uh, obviously, the language, there won't be a problem there. The league is probably a bit easier than other leagues where he could have started. There's no pressure from media, from the fans, and there won't be pressure from the club either because, to be fair, they can only do better than what they've done so far with only one win in 12 in all competition. So I can see why he, he decided to take it. I still think it's a, it's a gamble on his side and on Monaco's side, but I guess he had to start somewhere and he felt that was the, the the best the best place to start
0: good place to do your gambling, of course M- Monte Carlo, but uh, does this mean that after selling off uh, several teams worth of talent, that monaco are actually going to back him in the January transfer window
7: so Monaco said it was always going to happen anyway, them spending money in January to solve not reassess the squad, but maybe rebalance the squad in a way where currently the squad is far too young compared to what they had before, and there's a lack of experience and maybe a, a bit of lack of talent as well. So I think, anyway, whoever would have, you know, regardless of who would be the manager in January, they was always gonna, they were always gonna spend. But he got, he got that assurance as well, and he also got the fact that going forward, and he signed a three-year deal that. Uh, you know, maybe they would look at not selling too many 2 good players at the same time, which is exactly what they did the last two and a half years, but that maybe going forward now, maybe one or two would go, but not four or five in one go.
2: Jules, you said there's no pressure from the fans, but I read that there is a bit of a split. Five, four, five against, Jerry.
7: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think people are excited over there for the ones who are going to the stadium and who are like Monaco fans that... Between him and someone else that had no ties to the club or no link with the club, I think they would rather someone like him. The, the issue is, which is obvious, one is, you know, he's got no experience at all. So, one, he's never been in, in, in a situation as a manager. And two, even less in a club a little bit in crisis because they're third from bottom and right now they're going into a relegation playoff. So, you know, it's it, that's the big question mark. How is he going to do? Is he's, he's someone who was so demanding of his of himself and of others when he was playing. That you do wonder how is he gonna be a training and during matches if the players he has are not playing at the level he expects them to be or he demands them to be. How would he react to that? Is he going to lose his temper? Is he going to be a bit patient? Is he going to be, you know, that? that's the big question. And I think he, he, he will find out as well. I, I, I'm sure he doesn't even know himself. But we will see at Strasbourg this weekend, mm. how he all goes, how he all goes.
0: Yeah, Interesting, because uh, then uh, not long till Monaco hosts Nice, which I mean, a, a reunion with Patrick Vieira, who's... Uh, applying his trade on the uh, Nice managerial uh, bench. What about uh, Leonardo Jardim then, who by all accounts had kind of given up and was doing treasure hunts and archery uh, with the team before matches?
7: Yeah, I mean, he's right now with a cocktail on a beach somewhere with a check of 8 million euros. So I think he'd be happy. I think he's fine for now. I think okay. we can we can all agree he's, he's pretty okay for now. Um, the The thing with Jardim, and that's, he, I think, he was happy to go. And I think, as much as it looks like they sacked him, I think he was far more of a mutual consent than what we, you know, what we actually think. Because he, he felt he was the end of the road for him as well. I think he ran out of ideas. I think he ran out of energy as well. Uh, it's funny uh, because Monaco, in his last press conference before his last game, uh, there was only only ten journalists turned up, and that really shocked people. That people at the club were like, "Hang on a minute, this is not... You know, it looked like their club was, was meaningless again, like they were a few years ago when they were in second division. And I think uh, as much as they wanted a young manager up and coming, that kind of thing, they also wanted someone with a big name to sort of bring back Monaco into the news you know into people talking about it which had gone really in the last few weeks under and the Jardim and I think Jardim also felt it and also he felt it was the right time for him to go that he couldn't take this team forward anymore after well we're, you know they were incredible four years the ones yeah. he had at the club and and I can see why he you know he was okay by, by leaving and, and getting that 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 big uh, that big check as well
0: absolutely Jules just finally then a, a word for Rafa ahead of uh, Tuesday's game between. France and Germany.
7: I I don't want to pile more misery on on you, Rafa, and your team. So I I hope it's some sort of a a good draw for Germany, but I think France are going to win. Sorry.
0: Hey, Rafa. Um, Last time you were in, you were waxing lyrical about uh, Niko Kovac, who was doing such a fine job with Bayern Munich at that point. They'd uh, won seven games in Mm. a row. However, as we pick up the story, they are now four games without a win and have just been beaten 3-0 by Borussia Mönchengladbach and everyone's talking about how Niko Kovac is going to get
2: the chop. So what's gone wrong? It hasn't come to the point yet where he is seriously uh, in danger of losing his job. Right now there are... um there's more criticism of the board's transfer policy. They're saying that a little bit like Joachim Löw maybe, that they overestimated the performance levels of some of the most, uh, more experienced members of the squad, that uh, there should have been more of a transition. But it is quite remarkable how not just the results, but also the perception of Kovac has changed in such a short time. And I think having researched this for, for a story I did for ESPN, the explanation... Um, I've been given by by some of the players or people close to the players was that initially there was a lot of emphasis on fitness and on defensive stability and Bayern played with real energy and they were solid at the back and their superior quality even if you think that Robin and Rubri are slightly over the hill they are still better than 90% of the opposition in the Bundesliga and put that energy and that momentum all together and defensive solidity and you had a winning combination the problem is, I think that a lot of coaches um, have looked at the spying team and says, "Yes, okay, they're still very good, but actually, what they're doing is very, very basic. They're just attacked from the flanks. They're put man forward. The fullbacks are overloading, and uh, if we shut down the wings, there is not a lot they've got. They've been running into trouble in recent games, and when even Dieter Hecking kind of out coaches you, the players pick up on it, and the players expected." things to change at half time, You know, they really were, were not doing well. They expected tactical changes, positional changes, but Kovac did very little. And I wouldn't say that he has already lost the dressing room, but I think they're beginning to wonder whether he actually, uh, with his very limited experience of coaching attacking football, he's come from Eintracht Frankfurt, where they played a very kind of muscular, robust, but mostly counterattacking style, whether he has the ideas, whether he has the solutions. And, as long as Bayern are winning, those doubts will not come to the forefront. But the minute that the results go against them, and they had now, as you said, four, four games without a win, um, at a place that Bayern immediately you will find players who for their own reasons will leak that, uh, that lack of um, belief, that lack of uh, trust, in, in lack of confidence in the players, to, in the coach, to, to the wider media. And then the board will have to make a decision right now I think they want to stick with him because it reflects very badly on them if they get rid of him because A, it says they got the wrong man and B, mm. it says actually they should have changed the squad. But they, they got rid of Carlo Ancelotti about this point of the season, didn't they? Yes, uh, they did. But of course, Ancelotti had been there a the year mm. before uh, with success, but the, the doubts already by then had become quite big. And I think the difference then was that the re- he managed not just to lose the confidence when it came to the when it came to tactics and all this stuff but also made too many decisions that riled uh, the the serious players they kind of complained and said they could no longer understand what he was doing and I think at that point uh, Bayern felt that they had to pull the plug because they I think had begun to kind of almost subconsciously undermine them as, as teams have a have a you know history of doing mm. um, almost kind of as some kind of self-help emergency measure we have to almost lose to get rid of this guy. Otherwise, things won't, won't improve. It hasn't come to that point yet, but he's under serious pressure now, uh, Kovac, to to win over the next few games. Sixth in the Bundesliga. Um, it's top, great for the league. Top of the table are Borussia
0: Dortmund. Are they going to win the title? And how big a start in Germany is Jadon Sancho?
2: Um, are they going to win the title? I would, I would hope so. I think it would be great for everyone concerned. Um, I think you still have to expect Bayern to bounce back. And Dortmund cannot... Possibly win games all the time the way they did uh, last Saturday, um, a week ago, when they beat Augsburg 4 3, scoring three goals in the last, uh, I don't know, six minutes. Um, you know, that's not sustainable. They have been scoring an unbelievable amount of goals, 18 in the last four games, um, playing wonderful football. Jaden Sancho is a key part in all of that. He's becoming much more of a regular now, and his decision making has become much better. Also, I think Andalusian and Favre Dortmund have real structure when it comes to their attacking game. There are some really interesting uh, remarks in a Sportbild piece where substitutes, and they've scored a lot through substitutions, were talking about the fact that Favre looks at the team and he looks for 45 minutes at the opposition and he will just then take a piece of paper and say, here's their weak spot, you just run this way, come from that angle, and this is where the chances will be created. And it's great when it works because as a player you think, wow, you know. Uh, I just need to listen to this guy more often. And that is the positive momentum that you have right now. Sancho is is big, but because he is A, um, a foreigner, and B, just one of a number of interesting, sort of young attacking talent that Dortmund have, there isn't that hype to make him something he isn't at this point. And I think Dortmund, talking to one or two players, were even a slightly a little bit, I wouldn't say annoyed, but maybe surprised in a slightly negative way that he'd already been called up because I think they would have liked to keep him a little bit more on the reps seeing him develop and then for the big hype train to start Um, I think Southgate to his credit has handled it well so far but I think it it does create sort of unwanted attention I think and makes it a little bit more difficult for him to just do his job and just learning the ropes at Dortmund
0: Anyway, Rafa, speaking of uh, up-and-coming players, that Per Mertesacker game you were talking about earlier.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 40,000 people turned up in Oof. Hanover to wave goodbye to to Per, who, of course, started his career there. He's a local boy and he cried on the um, lap of honour. It was all very moving. He was also a little bit annoyed that some of his um, former teammates had pulled out very late. Uh, and didn't shop. He said, you wouldn't have deserved to be here. <laughs> so, who, who, who blew him out? Um, well, Michael Balak was supposed to be there and uh, canceled very late on with the flu. Uh, Peter checked, but I think uh, apparently he was genuinely injured. So um, he wouldn't have been included in that. Yeah, one or two others, like Jiri Steiner and people like that. But yeah, it was a really great occasion, a uh, moving farewell and, uh, and a fitting finale uh, with the slight annoyance of having Scooter uh, provide the half-time uh, entertainment <laughs> uh, but it did give everyone the opportunity to uh, do the uh, bit of a pun with a high peh high peh high peh nice yeah. Nice. hey we could play out with a bit of scooters no d-
0: please not actually we won't because we've got something else anyway that brings us pretty much to the end of today's totally football show but of course let's just get the odds on some of the things we've been talking about today before we shut up shop producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power
3: Thanks, Jim Bosley. Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's get stuck right into
1: Scotland. They're rubbish. Is Alex McLeish going to survive? It's not been great, has it? And uh, McLeish is definitely under pressure, but he hasn't even had a qualifying campaign in charge. Yet, so it would be very drastic. But then again, he only had ten games during his first stint in charge, so not impossible. We go eleven to four that he sacked before the end of the year which would be slightly surprising, but their recent performances, can you blame them?
3: Well, I'm interested to know how that compares to uh, Jürgen Love's predicament. We've uh, we've had Rafa in the studio today talking all about the problems there. Tell us about his uh, long-term employment issues and uh, about the game against France. I reckon France are going to score three or more. What do you think?
1: So with Jürgen Love, actually, he's less safe than Anx McLeish. so that's at least one win for the Scotland manager. It's just two to one that Love is gone by the end of this year. Um, as for three or more goals for France, it's just 5-2. to two. It's odds on they score two or more, so Germany under the cosh. It always feels dangerous to write Germany off, though, and they're 7-2 to two to win in France, which is a massive price.
3: Well, let's make this a hat-trick of uh, bad managers, or managers having a bad time of it, rather.
1: Martin O'Neill at Ireland. They were really, really bad
3: against Denmark. What's going to happen when they take on Wales?
1: Yeah, they were really bad, but they still managed to ruin my ACCA and my big tip of the weekend at Denmark were a dead cert. So cheers, Ireland. I had to sit through that and I didn't win money. Um, they're 7-5 to five to beat Wales and they need to if they want to avoid relegation. 15-8 to eight for the draw looks good value, 2-1 to one for Wales. The nil-nil, by the way, is just 5-1 to one and I'd be very tempted by that.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only be aware.org. and when the fun stops, stop. Thursday's Totally Football Show features the vocal talents of Duncan Alexander Emma Saunders and James Horncastle where we'll have uh, lots of things to get excited about including the return of the Premier League and Chelsea Man United
2: <laughs> Have you got a big week ahead of you Raf? I have actually yes I'm going to Poland to launch the Polish version of Bring the Noise Brilliant okay super yeah. Polish uh, listeners out there you'll find me in Warsaw and Krakow That's great news Daniel, what about you?
4: Book writing, shutting myself away and not not getting distracted. Excellent, Jack.
5: Well, i best get back to my skirting yes.
4: situation, James.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have something equally delightful awaiting you, listener. Uh, we'll leave you, though, today with another Peter Brankley memory. Peter, the voice of football Italia and pro-evolution soccer. From all of us here, it's Arrivederci. Mm, oh, he's charged the goalkeeper. Oh, that's torn it. hey? Do you agree with that call, Trevor? Huh? Oh? Hmm? Oh? Ah! Yes! Great! Go for it! Go on! Oh! Well done! Hey? Ah?
2: What? Oh no! Oh! Hmm. Oh. oh my! Hmm. Yes? Oh no!
3: You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats.